All right, I've been uh, trying to get through chapter one in three weeks, uh, kind of giving you an overview, stopping at the big points or giving you something uh, to remember so that when you go back to Romans or Hebrews chapter one and read it through, uh, hopefully it'll give you a better understanding. Um, it's very important uh, that uh, <clears throat> you understand not who the speaker is, because you don't know who the Hebrews writer is, uh, but we know his. We need to know his purpose. We need to know why he's writing. Uh, we need to know the audience and who he's who he's talking to. All of that gives us uh, good information uh, uh, in determining what the text actually says and what it actually means. Uh, today we're going to look at uh, the rest of Hebrews chapter one. I think we got down to through verse five. And uh, we're mainly going to take a look at uh, the name above every name, which is Jesus Christ, and then ask the question, how is Jesus greater than the angels? And so hopefully we can uh, uh, tackle that tonight. So we're going to begin uh, right there at verse 4, having become a much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than than theirs. Uh, I don't know if you're aware how to find me or how a letter uh, goes from one location to the other. Uh, but, when you, but when you receive a letter, uh, it says on there somewhere that it is from the United States Post Office, which means from out of all the nations in the world, this letter is intent for somebody that lives within the confines of the boundaries of the United States. Well, we know in the United States, there are a lot of different states and if you look on the letter and you see the address, it's addressed to somebody in Georgia. In, uh, Georgia. Uh, we know that in Georgia, there's a lot of cities and a lot of towns. And so if you look on the address, it'll also say Savannah. So in all the, in all the cities in Georgia, the letter's addressed to a very specific person there in that city of Savannah. And then Savannah's a pretty big place. And so they got to divide it up into zip codes. And so if you look out on the address, you'll see 31401 or 31402 or 419, whichever uh, location is. So it divides it down into these zip codes. And, uh, and then within these zip codes, there's all kinds of different streets. And, uh, and so it has to narrow it down a little bit further. And uh, my t- particular street is Ramsgate over in Coffee Bluff. And if you drive down Ramsgate, there's quite a few houses on that particular street. And so if you look on your address, it get, has a little number there. And my box number is 27. Inside of all the mailboxes and all the driveways and all the houses that are on that particular street, we need to look for 27. Well, when you get to 27 Ramsgate, there's a house there. And in their house, there's many people that live there. And, uh, and the name of that particular family that lives there is Kellers. And so out of all the families and all the houses that are on that particular street, this house is designated as the Kellers house. And then there's several Kellers, less now than it was. Uh, they're down to pretty much two, <laughs> Amy and Tom. And if you look on the address, it says Tom. And so that letter that comes from somewhere else in the United States or somewhere else in the world is narrowed down to get to that very specific person. Okay, so when we're, talking about the, when we're talking about the supremacy of Jesus Christ or the greatness of Jesus Christ, 
The Bible is a love letter from heaven, and it has an address on it. And it's addressed to specifically talk about and identify a specific, uh, a specific person. And so if you can look at genealogies, Matthew chapter 1, uh, verses 1 through 18, there's a lot of genealogies over in Luke's gospel, there's genealogies. Genealogies point to a specific, is, is point to the specific person of Jesus Christ. All of the prophecies, I think there's over 320, uh, 320 prophecies um, in the uh, Old Testament pointing, pointing to Christ. And I don't know if you ever thought about that. Um, Josh McDowell writes a real good book, and I think I read this in his, his particular book. Uh, but he was trying to figure out the, 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 probati- prob- the probability or the, uh, the probability of one person meeting all of the prophecies in the Old Testament. And he said it would be like uh, stacking the state of Texas, I think it was like five feet deep of quarters, painting one quarter red, putting it somewhere in Texas and then have a helicopter with a magnet or something. And he gets one time, one opportunity to drop that magnet down into the state of Texas and bring up that red quarter. He said it's nearly impossible uh, if it's not driven by God or the Holy Spirit supernaturally uh, for one person to be able to meet every single prophecy in the Old Testament, three, over 320 prophecies in the Old Testament. And just like most of the time, my letters get to my mailbox. Jesus Christ answered every single prophecy in the Old Testament, 300, over 320. So the prophecies identify Jesus. Uh, God identifies Jesus uh, by his name. Uh, Jesus, uh, the name Jesus means the Lord is salvation or God saves. Uh, Emmanuel is God with us. Christ uh, means the Messiah or the, or the, uh, the appointed one. Uh, so, so God has identified Jesus through his name. Uh, the word of God identifies Jesus Christ. Uh, we can look at Isaiah 9. We can look at uh, John chapter 14 and verse 6. Uh, uh, two or three witnesses. We can talk about witnesses. Uh, identifies Jesus. God identified him when he was baptized. He said, this is my son in whom I will please. Uh, in reality, all of the Old Testament, the way I like to look at the Old Testament prophets, uh, is they're pointing forward to Jesus. And if you think about my arm as the long, long history uh, of prophets pointing forward to Jesus, uh, you have Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, uh, get into the major and the minor prophets all the way down, and then you get to John the Baptist. John the Baptist was the last Old Testament a prophet because he was the last one to point forward to Jesus. In fact, his responsibility was to point right at Jesus. And he says, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so God identified Jesus through a long line of prophets. And we've looked that God spoke in many ways, various ways through prophets and angels and different things in the past. But in these last days, he's speaking through Jesus Christ. But he used this long line of prophets to point to the one that he would speak through and speak to us in these latter days. And so uh, John the Baptist and others like uh, Anna uh, of the prophetess also identified the uh, Holy Spirit came down like a dove landing on Jesus, identifying him. Uh, We see all the way through scriptures that Jesus Christ 
uh, identifies himself. And then we get to uh, Hebrews chapter 1, 1 through 4. Uh, Jesus is identified. He is, he, uh, Jesus is superior to angels because he is God. And Jesus is superior to angels because, uh, because he, is, he is man. I'm giving you an overview. I'm not stopping to go uh, real deep into each one, but just kind of give you an overview. You can go back and read through and hopefully see this a little bit clearly uh, as, you, as you read for, your, for yourself. Um, again, Jesus is superior to angels. Um, the Jews are God's chosen people. Jews were the channel that God would use to bring Jesus into the world. Uh, the Jews are the ones that God spoke to in the past. Speaking of Hebrews 1, 1 through 4, uh, when he's, there, 1 and 2, it says uh, <clears throat> that he, that he uh, spoke to the, to the Jews in the Old Testament. The, uh, the Bible mentions angels 273 times. 273 times. Uh, angels are created beings. Uh, just to give you uh, just some rationale, perhaps when uh, the angels were created. Angels are ministering spirits to humans, it says in Matthew chapter 18 and verse 10. Uh, this would imply that they were created before humans because they would minister also to Adam and Eve. Um, Satan was a fallen angel in Isaiah 14, 13, and he attempted Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3, which means he'd have to, the angels would have to be created before Genesis chapter 3. Uh, angels worshiped God when they observed him in creating. Job says this in, in Job 38, 4 through 7. Angels worshiped God when he created. So this would either mean that, he, that they were created on day one or prior to uh, day one. Uh, some say that there is a gap theory. Is that that's what you believe in it, Bob? Through Genesis one and Genesis two, so I he might one of them. There's several. So he might be, he might be able to explain it. <laughs> he might he might be able to explain it. But I think this is the gist of it: is that God created beforehand, and then Satan kind of messed things up. That happened in between Genesis one and two, and then he then he created. Is that similar kind of kind of what it is, and so, um, and so he would be angels would have been created before Genesis chapter one in in verse in verse two. Yeah, I'm saying that angels were trying to determine when angels were created. And they have to be before humans because they were ministered to humans. They would have to be before Genesis 3 because he tempted Adam and Eve. And this gap theory that you're referencing doesn't give an excuse or credence to evolution. It's just a gap in creation. Right. Uh, yeah, it's not really a gap. It's one of the original gap theories was there was a pre-Adamic race. I don't, I don't believe that. So there's no death, there's none of that. It's just that during that time, what, and that time could be five minutes, it could be 5,000 years. God had created the earth, there's no animals, there's no people, 
And at some point in there, we have the fall of Satan, which is Isaiah 14. So that's why the earth is covered with water, which is a sign of judgment. And then God, in a sense, recreated it and made it inhabitable for man. So I think there's five, technically five different gap theories. That's the one that I believe in. A lot of people want to grab that one for evolution, and that's like that. Yeah, no, 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 no. There's no room for, I don't believe in evolution. There's no room for evolution in that one. Yeah. So, um, so anyway, just saying that there's a there's a gap theory which would place the, the uh, creation of angels before Genesis chapter one in verse uh, in verse two. So, uh, angels were messengers and servants of God. <clears throat> Satan started out as a choir leader or lead worshiper of the angels. Uh, so, if you think about it, you know, Lucifer, Lucifer was the worship uh, the the worship leader who led the other angels in the worship of God. And at some point and at some time, this is kind of getting off the theological base, I just want to talk about angels and when they were, and when they were uh, probably created. Um, but at some point, it entered into his heart, hey, I want to be on his throne. And then he <coughs> left his place and uh, took some angels with them and determined to set himself up against God. And then we, the rest is history. So... Um, <coughs> We know that Satan tempted Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3. We've already looked at that. Uh, God set angels at the gate to the Garden of Eden so they would not eat from the tree of life. That's in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 24. Uh, there is a cosmic spiritual war going on between Michael and Lucifer. Uh, two angels. This is just showing you the, just the, uh, uh, the impact of angels. If you think, let, let me step back just a little bit. Um, if, if, if you read in Hebrews and you, and, you, and you get there and it's like, what is this emphasis on Hebrew? What is the emphasis on angels for? <clears throat> well, if you, if you think about the writer of Hebrews is writing to Hebrews, they're Jews. If you remember our first lesson, they're Jews that had become Christian. And then there's a bunch of people now persecuting them and tell them they're wrong. They need to come back to Judaism uh, they began to, you know, worship angels and talk different things. So they, so they, so they, writer Hebrews had to write to the Jews in this in this church, and, and to tell them that Jesus is superior to to uh, to angels. And so if you if, if you think about the significance that angels play, I think that's where I missed here. I went from talking about when they probably were creation, and now just going through the Old Testament and showing you where they they appear. If, if you see the emphasis by which angels played in the Old Testament and in the Jewish life, you would see why, why the writer of Hebrews would have to write to these Jews and say, look, we don't want to worship angels. We want to worship uh, Jesus. Okay, so, so there's two angels uh, that, or there was, yeah, two angels that saved Abraham's nephew Lot. In Genesis 19, 15, and 16, angels provided Elijah with food and drink in 1 Kings chapter 19. Angels closed the mouth of lions in Daniel in the lion's den. In Daniel chapter 6, angels assisted Jesus as he fasted in the desert uh, in Matthew chapter 4. Uh, angels ministered to Jesus while he prayed in Luke chapter 22. Angels rescued Peter from prison in Acts chapter 12. Uh, the angel Gabriel told the Virgin Mary she would give birth to God's son in Luke chapter 1. The angel Gabriel also spoke to Zechariah and Elizabeth in Luke chapter 1, 13 through 20. 
Uh, angels announced, announced the resurrection of Jesus in Matthew chapter 28. And then angels appeared to Paul uh, during a shipwreck to say that all would be spared in Acts, uh, in Acts 27. So seeing the significance of angels, and we'll see more if we have time as we move forward, uh, you understand a little bit why the writer of Hebrews, writing, writing to this Hebrew church filled with a lot of Jews who had come to the Lord and now are trying to go back to, uh, back, go, back to um, go back to Judaism. And he's writing and say, hey, no, you need, to, uh, you, you need to stay here. This is where the, the, the truth is. This, is. this is where Christ is superior. That's what the Old Testament was for, pointing to uh, Christ. This is what the angels were doing, preparing the way for Christ come. Now Christ is here. Now let's not go back and you know, look for angels and worship, worship angels. And you know, Paul, Paul even says, uh, uh, even if an angel comes and preaches a different gospel, you don't even, don't, don't believe it because Jesus Christ is the one that speaks in these latter days. And many of our false religions, uh, Jehovah Witness, Mormons, and uh, 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 Islam, uh, all of them have some story of an angel in their past that, that gives them uh, further revelation. Uh, which is one reason that makes them uh, false. And so, uh, and so angels played a very significant part in Jewish history. Uh, angels would have taken a very high position in the Jewish thought. Uh, the writer in Hebrews would, would have felt the uh, necessity uh, to put Jesus and the angels in the, uh, in the proper perspective. Uh, we also see that the, uh, the Jews interacted with uh, angels. Uh, we saw in the th uh, third, the, they saw that the third heaven was filled with angels. Uh, they saw these angels wor worshiping God in Isaiah chapter 6. Uh, they saw these angels coming down to man at Jacob's ladder in Genesis chapter 28. They, say, they saw these angels doing things of mystical and supernatural in nature. Uh, angels were the highest known beings for 4,000 years. The only being above angels was God. The highest access to God uh, was by the angels or uh, what the Bible calls God's, uh, God's messengers. Later in Hebrews, it talks about uh, Jesus and it talks about us, at, uh, us as well uh, when it says that we were made a little bit lower than the angels for a little while. And then, and then, res and then resurrected. Um, and so, again, uh, angels played a very prominent role uh, in in Jewish history. And so, he had to correct the Jews here in saying that that Jesus is superior to the uh, to the angels. Uh, angels in the Word of God. The Jews received the law by angels. Let's look at this one. Go back to Deuteronomy chapter thirty-three. Starting in, in verse 1, it says, This is the blessing with which Moses, the man of God, blessed the people of Israel before his death. He said, The Lord came from Sinai and dawned from Seir upon us. Uh, he shone forth from Mount Paran. He came from the ten thousands of holy ones with flaming fire at his right hand. Okay, so talking about Moses at Mount Sinai. 
And it says that he came and shone forth, and he came with 10,000 of the holy ones with flaming fire at his, at his right hand. And so at the delivery of the law was these thousands of angels that surrounded as he came. So if you think about the prominence of the law in the Old Testament in Israel history, and they were the ones that delivered the, were there in the delivery of the law, you can start begin, you can begin to see in the Jewish mind why they were so, why they were so prominent and why the writer of Hebrews would have to, uh, uh, have to uh, confront them this or, or correct their understanding of this. Go to Acts chapter seven. I'll read to you verse 38. Starting at verse 7. This is the Moses who said to the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from the brothers. This is the one who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him at Mount Sinai and with our fathers. He receiving, received living oracles uh, to give to us. So again, there's an angel who spoke to him at Mount, um, at Mount Sinai. Um, go down to 51 and 52 of Acts chapter 7, and it says, You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit, as your fathers did, to, uh, so do you. Uh, which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now portrayed in murder. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Okay, so again, you, you see the prominence of angels in, the, in Jewish history. And perhaps the struggle that they were having here uh, in allowing the sign of the angels that pointed to Christ and got to Christ. Now they're going back to the signs. And now the Hebrew writer saying, look, there's no need going to the sign now. Come to the reality. Come to, come to Christ. Okay, the Jews are, uh, were even worshiping uh, angels. Let's go to Colossians real quick. Colossians chapter 2. two eighteen. it says, that, Let no one disqualify you, uh, insisting on asceticism and the worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind and so uh and so the, the the jews were worship were worshiping angels and so you can see again uh keeping in mind that the, the, the this jewish church being persecuted and pulled back into judaism and and jesus is, or, or the writer of hebrews uh feels it really important of great importance to say look you're you're to worship jesus now stop worshiping angels stop going back remember uh, the, the analogy I used of the hospital. <clears throat> if you go into the hospital, you follow the blue sign with the with the white H on it. Uh, once you get to the hospital and you're getting the health the healthcare that you need, uh, it would be silly for you to go back to the sign to try to seek help. It'd be silly for you the next time to say, "Oh, I know what the hospital is. It's that blue sign with the with the white H. Let's go there and get some help." Well, you're not going to find a doctor there. You're not going to find help there. You have to go there now. Just because you're at the hospital, now you know how to get there. 
You don't want to do away with the signs because the signs are going to help the next people. So remember in the first century, uh, the, the early church was established and when they preached from the word, when they preached from the Bible, they preached from the Old Testament. And, uh, and so we can use the Old Testament going back and showing it how it points to Jesus, right? Because that's the purpose of the Old Testament, point forward to Jesus. And so we can use the Old Testament in leading people to Christ, uh, especially, uh, especially our uh, Jewish brothers and sisters. Uh, Jesus is greater than angels by, by divine names, Hebrews chapter 1, 4 to 6. Uh, angels are messengers. Jesus is the Son. Yes, Mm-hmm. And the, almost they had a shipwreck. But when I got to that part, it said, um, For this very night there stood before me an angel of God to whom I belong and to whom I worship. So they're actually talking about Jesus, right? He's the angel of God who he worships. Meaning he doesn't worship the angel, he worships God. Okay. The God that he worships, there's an angel there. Does that make sense? Oh, I, yeah, it does. Okay. okay. Yeah, angels angels are messengers. Uh, Jesus is a son. Uh, we looked at he is the begotten and the first uh, the firstborn. Uh, when we look at the firstborn, or when we thought about the firstborn, firstborn firstborn does not mean chronological. It's, it's not that Jesus was born and then there was another one and there was another son. And there was another son. Um, it, it means prominence. It means preeminence. He's the, he's the firstborn son. I remember the Old Testament and talking about agricultural, in an agricultural setting. Um, if you had seed and you had land, you had your provisions. That's where you had your wealth. That's where your wealth is generous. If you, had, if you had a seed, you would plant it. The seed is in the fruit and the fruit is in the seed. So you plant the, the, the seed. Then you have more fruit inside the fruit of seeds and you have more seeds to plant and so forth and so on. Uh, in an agricultural setting, you had many kids. The more sons you had, the more help you had on the farm. And so you had a bunch of kids. So when, the, when, the, when they were, the parents died and inherited, the firstborn son was the one that received the inheritance. They didn't divide it up into to all the children because if you had 15 children, you divided up equally and they all went their separate ways, right? Uh, the the uh, land and the profit and everything would be divided up in too many different ways. And so the firstborn son got the biggest inheritance and it was his responsibility to then take care of all of his siblings and to keep the wealth uh, within the family. And, uh, and so it carries over to Christ. Christ is not a messenger. He's not a servant. He's a son. Right? He's, he's not a messenger. He's a, he's a son. He's a firstborn son. And that first, fourth, firstborn son is preeminent he receives the portion or the inheritance from his father and then it is his responsibility as the firstborn son to take care of all of his siblings which is you and me and he is the provider and he does watch over us and take care of us and uh, and that's the idea here is that the angels are messengers and not son and uh, yes He, he's the radiance of God's glory. The exact imprint, the exact of, his imprint so of his nature. When it says nature. sonship, you can't have like, a, what am I trying to say? Uh, an angel isn't God's son. 
and that's what it's saying pretty much right now. Right, right. Because right. it, it, like God's nature, in order to be like equal with God, you can be a son. Right. Yeah. yeah. No, that's wrong. Okay. Uh, Jesus is God. There's no angel that is God. He's Lord. He has all authority. There's no angel that has all authority. Uh, uh, Jesus is greater than the angels by divine works. Uh, he's a creator. He is the sustainer of life. He is the govern. He, he, uh, he's greater by governing all things, uh, by redeeming the lost, and by purging of sin. Right, so Jesus is greater than the angels by his divine works. Jesus is greater than the angels uh, by worship because, the, uh, because Jesus Christ is worshipped by angels. And mankind, every tongue and tribe and nation will, uh, tribe and nation will be worshipping God around the throne. Uh, none of us will be worshipping angels around their throne. They don't have one. And, uh, and we shouldn't be worshipping angels. And it says that uh, in the end that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, but not every tongue uh, will bow, or every, not every tongue, uh, not every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that, uh, that there's any angel that is Lord over anything, okay? Uh, Jesus is greater than angels by divine sovereignty, uh, Hebrews chapter 1, 7 through 14, we can look at that. Uh, uh, verse 7, listen to this, he makes his angels his ministers. Right? So there's a little bit of ownership there, uh, which is important because a lot of people think that there's this supernatural cosmic war going on between God and Satan. And, and we're waiting to the end of eternity to find out who wins. Is it going to be God or is it, is it going to be Satan? We need to understand that God created angels and he owns them. And they can't do anything outside of God's sovereign will uh, anyways, they're, they're limited, and, uh, and they don't have any say-so over God. God doesn't consult any angels to determine what he's going to do. And so they have no authority. So he makes his angels his ministers. Uh, verse 8, Jesus sits on his throne forever. There is no angel that has a throne, and he doesn't sit on any throne forever. Uh, Jesus rules the kingdom of God, verse 8 also. In verse 9, Jesus is judge, holy, righteous. Jesus is God's anointed. He's set apart for his purpose and for his plan. Jesus is the creator of all things in verse 10. It says, you, Lord, laid the foundations of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the works of your hands. Right? There's no angel that laid anything and did anything of the works of his hands. Jesus Christ made, made everything. God is the creator of the, of the universe and holds all things together by the word of his power that we've already looked at. Jesus is greater than angels by, de design, uh, by divine destiny. Look at verse 13. It says, And to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstall. Well, he's never said that to, uh, to any angel. Uh, God is going to be, uh, God's son is going to be the king of the kingdom uh, in, the, uh, in the future. Uh, all things 
will be his be his be his footstool. <clears throat> Jesus is greater than the angels by his divine attributes. Verse eleven, it says that they will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Well, Jesus won't perish, nor will he wear out like a garment. He is infinite and eternal. Always has existed, always will exist. There never was a time and never will be a time when Jesus Christ is, is not. Uh, he's omniscient. He knows everything. He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. And he is unchanging. He's the same yesterday, today, and, and forevermore. Like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. Jesus is greater than the angels by servitude. Verse 14, it says, Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are, in, who are to inherit salvation? So Jesus created the angels. They are spirit beings. And Jesus sends angels out to serve his purpose and to serve his, his people. We all have angels and ministering angels that God sends, sends uh, for us to, uh, to be ministered to. All right, I hope that helps, um, helps you in reading Hebrews chapter 1 and understanding how Jesus is superior to angels. Uh, if you take time to read through it slowly, I think you'll be able to see, um, to see many of the things that we, uh, that we went over. And if you have my notes, uh, that would be helpful to keep by your side as you, uh, as you go through. Uh, in, in closing, because Bob will take over next Wednesday, uh, I want to look at chapter 2. Uh, because there's, there's warning passages. In Hebrews chapter 2, it says, Therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Now understand, un understand what, what's, what's happening in, in the Hebrew, in, in this particular church. And I think we can say it happens in, in any church. Uh, because there's several kinds of people that are sitting in the pews. Okay, there's, there, there's some who have knowledge, and they have a, a love for Christ that they have become fully committed to Christ. They know him, they love him, they serve him. Well, there's other people who have a real strong intellectual knowledge. They, they, they think they know it all, and they probably act like they know it all, but they have made no commitment. They have, made, they have, they have never allowed the head knowledge to become heart knowledge and fully commit. There's others who don't have a head knowledge, perhaps don't even know what a church is all about, and they're just coming because they're just interested in what's going on inside of that building. Okay, so in, in trying to understand the Hebrews' warnings passages, <clears throat> what we need to understand is that there's different kinds of people in the church, even though the passage is for everybody, he, he's, he's talking probably to a, to a specific kind of attitude that is that is that is present uh, we know that 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever will believe in him will have what? Everlasting life. What does everlasting life mean? It means that it doesn't end. It means that it doesn't stop. It, doesn't, it means that you won't drift away. Not permanently. Right? If God began a good work in you, he will carry it through to completion. He saved you to be conformed into his image and in, in, in likeness. He saved you for the, for the end result. If he foreknew you, he will call you. If he calls you, he will justify. If he justifies you, he will glorify you. Okay, so some say once saved, always saved. I like to say once believing, always believing. Because if you say once saved, always saved, a lot of pastors and a lot of people, they'll, you'll, they'll, they'll uh, give you the gospel message and you'll respond to it and they'll say a prayer with you. And then they'll say, turn to the front of your Bible and see where it says the day you, you accepted Christ. Write it down in the Bible. And when you're ever in doubt, just go back to that page and reassure yourself that you're saved because... Because you made a commitment on that particular day. And uh, <clears throat> that is what you call having faith in faith. And our faith is not in faith. Our faith is in Jesus Christ. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 5. It says to examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. All in present tense. All in present tense. Today, right now, examine yourself to see if you're in the faith right now. You have Jesus Christ, you believe in Jesus Christ, you love Jesus Christ, you're following Jesus Christ with your whole heart, then you, then you have faith. If you don't have Jesus Christ and you don't believe in Jesus Christ and you haven't submitted to Jesus Christ with your whole heart, then you've been nullified from the, from the faith. And so it's a present examination, and we should, everybody, when we hear Hebrews chapter 2, we should examine ourselves and listen to this warning. How should a believer respond to a passage like this? Well, it is a warning passage. So what do you do when there's a warning on the bottle? And what does the warning usually tell you? What's going to happen if you do it? All right, so you, it says, you have the little skeleton with the two bones there, and it says poisonous. What is the warning? It's poisonous, and what happens when you take it? You die, right? So you probably don't take that bottle of poison and sit it next to your drinking water because you don't even want to accidentally take a sip of it. You keep it somewhere else in your poison closet, hazardous material, and you, and you only use it for what it is. You don't go near it, right? As you're, if you're my age or a little bit older and your wife has medication you you probably don't put the medications all in the same cabinet right next to each other all mixed up so you don't know what the difference is because you want to make sure that you're taking the right the right medication because you don't know you don't want to take the wrong medication because you know the the warnings or the hazards of it okay <clears throat> so what does a warning label do to you it heightens, it informs you, but also what? It heightens your, your intensity in avoiding or not allowing yourself to partake of that particular warning. Right? If it's cold out and you're driving down the road and it says, bridge freezes before roadways. Right? You 
slow up a little bit because it's cold outside and it's been raining and you're getting ready to go over to a, a, a bridge. You, you, you take precautions. Well, when we read these warning classes, we should, we should respond the same way. Right? Cigarettes may cause lung cancer. Right? It's a warning. That's, if you take it, that's what's going to happen to you. Right? So we go back to our passage here. It says, therefore, we must pay much closer attention. That's the point. That's a warning passage. We need to pay much closer attention. So what should, if you're a believer tonight, and we just got done talking about angels and Jesus being more superior, and they're drifting away, going back to Judaism and worshiping angels, and they're saying, look, don't do that. Stay here with, with, with Christ. Focus on him. Be more intent on, on Jesus Christ. Because we don't want to drift away. Because what happens if we drift away? Well, if, if we drift away because it's only head knowledge, right? Then, then we'll drift away and we'll forget about it and we'll go on our separate ways and end up in hell throughout all eternity. And so we need to evaluate, examine ourselves to see first, number one, do we believe that Jesus Christ is superior to all things? Do we believe that he's better than angels and deserving of worships more than angels? Do we believe that he is the only way of salvation, the only way to get our sin purged, and the only way to have everlasting life? Not just head knowledge, but head knowledge with a heart knowledge that loves the Lord your God with all of your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and your strength, and you're, and you're all in and you're in it for the duration of your lifetime because you, are, you believe it. And that's how we have to examine ourselves. Because it says here, pay, have a much closer intention to what we have heard, lest we drift, drift, drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, right? How, what influence did angels have in the Old Testament? Oh, the Old Testament delivered was there partaking in the deliverance of the law at Mount Sinai. And what does the law do? If you disobey it, it curses you. Right? And, and didn't that, isn't that exactly what happened? And, and, and when that happened, did God not judge Israel for breaking the law? Did not, did not loads of them die there in the desert because they didn't obey a God? Right? So... So if it rang or rained true in the Old Testament that the law did exactly what it was supposed to do, that God responded to the law exactly the way that he was supposed to in the Old Testament, right? For since the message declared to the angels proved to be reliable, in every transgression of disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles, and the gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his, to his will. So putting it clear, as clear as I can make it for you tonight, if these messengers of God called angels delivered the word of God to Israel, and the word of God had its proper 
consequence towards the Israelites in the Old Testament, and now in the New Testament, he's speaking by his son, then how much more attention should we have on what God is saying through his son, Jesus Christ, in the New Testament? Paul said, Paul said in Romans to consider Israel. The writer of Hebrews is pretty much saying the same thing. Consider Israel, consider the Old Testament, consider what happened there, and then understand that just like it happened to Israel, it could happen to you. It could happen to me. Paul said in Romans chapter 10, listen to this one clearly. He said, the Jews, they had a zeal for God. You know what that means? That means that they went to church. Or they went down to the synagogue. That means every year they went to, to, to Israel uh, during the Passover. And they brought their land. And they slaughtered it. And they participated in, the, in, in getting all the leaven out of their house. And they did all the things of the requirement of the Old Testament. And they had a zeal. They looked like they were passionate about God. That they loved God. The, Paul even said that he was the Pharisee of Pharisees. He was above all the other Hebrews. He said he was near perfect when it came to the law. But he said they had a zeal for God. But it was without knowledge. What were they missing? What knowledge were they missing? Here's what he said. They had a zeal for God that was, out not, was without knowledge. For they were ignorant of the righteousness that is found in Jesus Christ. And instead of accepting the righteousness that was found in Jesus Christ, they were trying to establish a righteousness of their own. You know there's a holiness that will not obtain heaven? And that is a self-righteous holiness. That is you trying to perform all of your good deeds, trying to get into heaven. Rather than saying, I can't get into heaven. There's no way that I can get into heaven. I'm not righteous. I'm a sinner. And the only way that I can get into heaven is to have a righteousness that is not my own. And that is the righteousness that Christ provided in his son, Jesus Christ. So when we hear the warnings that are in the book of Hebrews, and I think there's four of them. Yeah, there's four of them. What we need to realize is that we need to be more intentional and paying attention and listening to the word of God. Because our response to the word of God is going to have eternal ramifications. What God has said through his son is going to have eternal consequences. And we have to have our minds and our heart with heightened attention to what God is saying through Jesus Christ. Just like when you see that bottle that says, not for internal youth, use will cause death. Right? The Bible says, not for establishing outward righteousness, but must, must, Receive the righteousness that is in Jesus Christ alone. No other righteousness. You don't get into heaven by being a great person. 
There's going to be a lot of great people in hell. You get to heaven through the righteousness that God provided in his son, Jesus Christ. Now, when I was young, I was stubborn. And I blamed it on my brother and my mom and dad. Because my brother, from as small as I can remember, loved to hang around adults. I'm out playing basketball, swinging bats, and doing all this other kind of stuff. He's working side by side with, adult, with, the, with the adults. And so he was known as the responsible one. I was the one that was irresponsible. Because I was hanging around all the kids, not the adults. The biggest, the biggest memory that I have of my, of my grandfather on my mom's side, he owned a heating and air conditioning business. <clears throat> and he started me out at 12 years old, paid me $2 an hour. And he sat me in the middle of the shop with his five-gallon bucket of, of, of nails and screws with a bunch of dirt in it. And he wanted me to sit there and separate the nails and the screws from the dirt. A five-gallon bucket is a lot of screws. So after, I was tired of it after about 10 minutes of it. And I was there for like a couple of hours. After about two hours of it, this is how I did it. And he came back and saw all the dirt in it. And I can remember him pointing his finger at me and said, one of these days you're gonna be like your brother. And I tried everything I can to be, not be like my brother. The biggest pain that I had. And I don't even know where I was going with that. I know I had a, I know I had a point of it there. But uh, where was I going with it? I had a point for it. I really did. No, uh, it still had dirt in it. He, he, didn't, he, didn't, he was so mad at me, he didn't want to do it. He didn't even want to get me to do it over again. Establishing our own righteousness. Yeah, that's what I was talking about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was, yeah. yeah. All right. Well, I'm gonna have to leave you with that story because I had no idea where it was to go, man. I mean, it might come back to me later tonight. You know, give me a call and I might be able to tell you that. Yeah, but uh, just send out a flock note. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so anyway, I guess that's the end of my sermon right there because I have no idea what the point was. I was bringing it to a close.